Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am a big fan of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're going to lose. Coming down the stretch, you're going to lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here to review Michigan State's 74-54 victory over the Butler Bulldogs in the Gavit Games finale. The game featured the return of Pierre Brooks to the Breslin Center and Thad Mata, who made many trips before as the head coach of the Buckeyes. His visit tonight wasn't a good one as Michigan State took it to Butler and fairly comfortably won the game. Uh, MSU expanded on the 12-point halftime lead and pushed it over 20 by the end of to put away what is probably a decent team, but not a great team. And, uh, you know, I guess uh, we look at the game and we say, A.J. was good, he's bad, he's good, he's decent, he's good. Kind of, <laughs> we saw him in the game. Cooper, start over Mahdi. That was kind of the big news, uh, news I guess, change in the, the starting lineup. Uh, is definitely looking not only more comfortable, but I think more instinctive on the floor at the five. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hall continued to look very good. Nearly picking up another double-double. Walker was Walker. Jay Nakin seemed to struggle again tonight after hitting his first two threes. And then, um, but overall, uh a really good game. I think it was one that we needed to see from the team. Not great. They didn't play like gangbusters, but they played really well. I mean, if you look at the um, defensively, they held a team that had been playing pretty well. I mean, again, they've not playing great teams, but they held uh, Butler to what less than the 28% shooting uh, overall. Uh, and then they uh, held just, you know, 54 points. And uh, so, I mean, overall, I, pretty good defensive effort and I don't know I mean I think it was a it was a good game uh not phenomenal one that you definitely build up on but definitely a good one to bounce back from the Duke game and saw the the you know 35 percent from three so you saw the ball go through the through the hole uh <laughs> from behind the arc which was definitely helpful too I think it had more threes this game than they had the rest of the previous part of three games of the season close um <laughs> I think I think they had eight coming in yeah, they had eight coming in. They hit seven tonight. So close. Um, look, I I actually maybe felt slightly more bullish about this game than it sounds like you did. I, I think they played pretty well. Now, we do want to caution, and we said this in the preview, it's hard to know what Butler is just yet because they hadn't really played yeah. anybody any good. They just run roughshod over three bad teams. Um, mm-hmm. They have been picked be fairly deep in the second division of the big East. And I thought that's kind of what they looked like as a team tonight, but I equate this more or less to, Oh, let's say playing Nebraska at Breslin in February. You know, it's a similar caliber opponent. You'd have similar expectations. If you say, well, you beat Nebraska by 20 at home, you kind of feel like that's 
you know, it's it's not, oh, my God, they were amazing, but it's what you would expect <laughs> and hope to see. Right. And so yeah. I would put this in the same category. You know, once they in the later in the first half kind of got a bigger lead established, they went into halftime up 12, of course. Yeah, he never felt like Butler was going to make a push. They did have one brief flurry where they got it down to seven early in the second half. And then Michigan mm-hmm. State yep. just pushed it right back into double digits. And it it just kind of gradually expanded from there. So I have I have several thoughts on this. Uh first one, the defense continues to be encouraging. Uh mm-hmm. we yep. talked about it against Duke. The Duke's final offensive stats were solid for them, but there were, and there were moments where MSU's defensive execution was lacking at critical moments, but I still thought there was a lot to like in that Duke game defensively, what Michigan state did, particularly those first 10 minutes, which we spent some time talking about. Uh, I don't think Michigan State tonight was ever that level of dialed in, but it's hard to get that level of dialed in when you're playing Butler and it's not Duke, you know, in Chicago and you know this Champions Classic, all of that, right? So I don't fault them for that, but I think it was a very steady defensive performance. I think even some of the stuff that felt frustrating, um, what was the kid's name? Uh, Telfort who hit a couple threes on the night. They were they were only 7 for 25 yep. as a team. He was 2 for 4. Both of his threes were frustrating, but honestly they were bad breaks as much as anything else at the ball. Yeah, kind of yeah, got I agree. There was one in particular where um uh Posh Alexander kind of got near the rim uh tried to throw a pass to somebody else and it got deflected kicked out to Telford and he hits an open three. Okay. I can't bitch about that too much, you know? So I, I felt for the majority of the game, I liked Michigan state's uh, defensive connectedness, particularly when Carson Cooper was on the floor. And so that leads to yeah, for sure. my next point of discussion. Uh, you mentioned Carson started first start in his career and I don't think we're shocked to see this. I mean, we talked a fair amount in, the, in late last year and then over the summer into the fall about the fact that if you look at Michigan State's three guys at the five, he's the one who clearly has the highest upside. And then you look when you put everything together and then you look at his physical changes and development this season. And, you know, if I don't think either one of us are surprised to see him starting a game, I, I'm a little surprised that it came in game four. I thought it might be a little later in the season before we saw that develop, but it happened tonight. And clearly, well, I think two things have happened. I think Carson has made real strides in his overall floor game. And then I think, and I, and I hate saying this because we're big fans of bodies on this show. We've had him on as a guest a couple times. We're big boosters. And I, and I am a believer that he was a key to last year's the level of success they did have because of the way he defended. He was mm-hmm. a very, very good defensive player last year. I do not feel he's playing great defense yet this year. The The team at both ends of the court just seems much, much more connected right now 
with Carson out there. They just look uh, more coherent, more together. Carson is playing with much more confidence. If you look at offense, we're at the point now, which was not the case last year, where every time Mahdi gets the ball at the top of the key, if I'm not actually saying it, I'm screaming in my mind, get rid of it <laughs> or someone come help him because yeah. he just looks so out of sorts in terms of even, be, even being able to make a pass or hand the ball off to a guard. Carson does not feel that way. He might make a mistake now and then, but Carson feels confident to me. And defensively, Carson's just playing much, much better basketball. Body is it happened even tonight. There were times where he's just on those hedges. He's getting more aggressive than I think they want him to get. And it means that he's not able to stay in touch with his guy. They didn't get burned a lot on pick and roll, but you could still see it. It's like he's just hedging too far. Carson, mm -hmm, yeah. to me, is is doing a much better job of staying connected on that stuff. So uh, it, it was yeah. it was that's the the biggest thing to me with Carson Cooper. Now you look at his numbers, um, three points, but 11 boards. So he continues yeah, offensive. Yeah. He <laughs> continues to, he had eight in the Duke game. He gets 11 tonight. He's very rapidly. And, and the other thing too, is he's getting those rebounds and you're not seeing him lose the ball very much when he gets his hands to it. It stays his, you know, Yep. I'm I'm going to mm -hmm. suggest that that's probably where the work he's done on his upper body has done a lot of good because I think he's able to take, he's shown signs that he's able to take more contact and hold, secure the ball. You know, he's not losing rebounds. He's, I got to see what the official numbers were on this. Um, well, they only credited him with two blocks, but boy, it felt like he was an even bigger presence than that suggests. He's just doing all of those things that they need someone to do. They don't need the five spot, despite what some fans think. If this team's going to be <laughs> what they think they can be, they don't need the five man being a tower of strength in the post, putting up 12 points every night. If you get that, great, but they don't need that. What they need is the kind of defense and the kind of rebounding and then as an add-on to the defense, having some rim protection element is nice too, uh, that Carson Cooper is providing. So I thought it was very encouraging how that change worked. In fact, I, I said this, I think, on on the message board, and, and it got close to this. What I was saying was uh, it feels like right now the gap between the way he's playing and the way body's playing, that they're the only two real options at the five, uh, looks more like something that would be like a 27-13 or 28-12 kind of split in terms of minutes. Carson did play right. 23, which is a little bit of an uptick from Duke, and body played 15. So we are getting closer to that. I just I wonder if Izzo is feeling that Carson's got the kind of conditioning or just is ready to be like a 28 a minute a night guy, you know, 28 minutes a night guy. Now, the other interesting component to this, of course, is that Jackson Kohler apparently has his boot off. Izzo said, I was going to say, yeah, he's got a boot off now. Yeah. So walking he, around today. he says he's about two weeks away. Now 
I don't know if that means two weeks away from full go practicing or two weeks away from actually having a chance to see the floor. I suspect it's the former. So we're probably more like three weeks away from actually seeing him play, which would be what middle ish of December, which was kind of what they were talking about. So as the, as the upside end of what this could be, so that would be really good, but it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And of course we know Jackson could also end up playing some four as well, but, um, Interesting development to watch to see. Mahdi's not going to go to a zero role, and I, and I I still have high hopes that he can get back to being the kind of defender and rebounder that he was a year ago. If he can do that much, that's enough. You know, they don't need. Mm-hmm. It'd be great if you got him, but you don't need those Gonzaga Kentucky performances out of him. You really don't for this team to be what it can be. Um, I really liked AJ tonight. Other than that technical he got late, which was sort of stupid. But, yeah. um, and by the way, there's, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this realize that you, pr- you probably don't, Eric, because you were there. I absolutely don't. Um, yeah. In the, in the handshake line, uh, Pierre Brooks and AJ Hogard went right past each other. And AJ oh got my. that T, AJ got that T on a play where he was called for a foul on Pierre and then he said something to Pierre. That's why he got teed up. So there, there might actually be something there, which, and by yeah, the way, Pierre got I, you, teed up too, right? I mean, you were in the motion that he game. earlier. Yes. Yeah. You, um, you tell me, cause you were there. My understanding, you could hear it on television, but reading some of the, like Graham couch was talking about it, his coverage. Uh, it sounded like Pierre was getting a rough ride from the crowd all night. And I'm a little you bit know, disappointed I, to hear that. What was your I, take? So when he first got it called, I think there were sort of like, it was a mixed sort of booze and uh, I don't know, jeering maybe. I don't know exactly know what it was. I mean, there were, but it wasn't like all, ne- it didn't feel all negative to me when he first got okay. came out uh, all right. when he announced his name initially. Now I will say <laughs> that as the game went on and especially after he got that technical, then it yeah. was like, then it was sure then it was all negative and he is getting booed and stuff. I guess I can understand that, but I just felt, you know, and maybe it's because, uh, you know, I, I can't expect college kids where I imagine a lot of that was coming from to be fully cognizant. It was his own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I can't expect them to be fully cognizant of all the realities here, but look, most of the people listening to this and you and I know that the reality is that move had at least as much to do with where Michigan state was going as it did with Pierre deciding that he didn't want to be there anymore. I don't think that was an acrimonious deal. I think that was a situation and I'm using think very liberally because I actually should be saying no, but um, I think that uh, he was presented with some facts, which he probably didn't even need that much because he knows how much he played last season right he knows the role he had and then you're bringing in this highly regarded class including a couple of guys in Carr and to some extent booker who would impact his role in part by their presence um and the handwriting was on the wall so what am i going to be angry at a kid in that situation for lee it's not like Oh, he was set to really help us. It's not like if Malik Hall had decided to enter the portal 
Okay. Yeah. Then right. you then you're talking about something, right? But that's not what this was. So I, from what I understand, um, he was a great student, solid kid. Never heard anything bad about. At least to me, never heard anything bad about him. A solid citizen. You know, you can critique the fact that he didn't put as much work in as he really needed to on his body and on certain parts of his game to be the player. I think I still think he could have been at Michigan state, but you know what? That, that doesn't make him a criminal or a bad guy. It just means that because who gets, who got hurt in this situation? You know, that's no, how I, I look yeah. at it. So I think everybody kind I, of won. Yeah. I was a little disappointed to see that it's not, it's probably not worth talking about any more than we just did, but I I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed because, um, you know, Izzo talked today about, or maybe it was whenever the uh, pregame, maybe it was a couple of days ago talking about previewing this game, you know, that his parents were great. He was, a, he was a good kid. You know, th- these are situations you want to boo. If Garrick Sherman ever shows up in East Lansing, you want to boo him, have at it. <laughs> Not this guy. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. And I don't, I, and I, I don't know what, what he, if he's looking at the crowd around the is or something and I, who knows? I I really don't know because I'm you know I'm not that close. So, um, so to to continue well, then, to, we got I got derailed a bit there. Um, yeah, I thought it was a very solid game from AJ Hogard. Is he all the way where he needs to be yet? No, but what I really liked was the activity level looking to get to the rim and doing damage when he got there. So this is by far his highest scoring game of the season. He ended up with 14 points, but five for 11 from the floor attempted four free throws. This is something we haven't, I think we've alluded to it, but I don't think we've explicitly called it out yet. You want one stat that tells you prior to tonight, why AJ Hogarth's been having the season he's having. I think this stat captures it last year. He averaged 4.7 free throw attempts per game coming into tonight. I think it was two point something. It was like half. Yeah. Now he he had four tonight. You'd still like to see one or two more, but um, it was progress. He was finishing around the rim. Finally hit a three, which I'm sure is good for his confidence. Six rebounds. He was active there, including a couple offensive, um, you know, four assists to three turnovers, not ideal, but I just think, and then solid defense the whole way. I just think you look at the totality of the floor game and he built on Duke, which is what I wanted to see. He built on Duke, you know, and another guy who built on Duke was Malik Hall. You know, again, I thought he was getting benched. Yeah. 12 points and nine <laughs> boards, six for nine from the floor. Here's an interesting thing. I'm going to give Robbie Hummel, our, our guest this summer, the benefit of the doubt that he's right about this. And I assume he got it, the stat from Synergy. Um, Malik Hall on post-ups this year is shooting better than, I think he was like 75%. That's a very good clip. And what you've seen in these last two games is a at least a hint that maybe they can get enough post play 
out of him to make things work overall offensively because they don't have a lot of other options. I mean, Carson Cooper, Marty Sissoko, at least for now, those guys aren't, you don't want them trying to convert post moves. That's, that's where I'm at. You know, we saw Cooper's air ball. Yeah. (laughs) Kohler, Kohler may be able to do it. We, in fact, he can do it. We will see how he's defended and all of that, but that'll change things a little bit too. But, I still think even when Jackson's back, I don't know how many minutes he's going to play. So you still need somebody else who's out there consistently to be able to give you that element. And Malik Call, I thought, is is stacked back-to-back games where he looked really good in that area. You know, And the good news, if you're worried about the inconsistency, which I can't fault you for, but counting the Tennessee game, the three games he's played – power five plus one opposition. He's played very, very well against Tennessee, against Duke, and now tonight. The games where he's been less impactful were against lesser opponents. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I look, I understand completely the skepticism with Malik because of the career-long inconsistency, but this was another big step in the right direction in my mind. I mean, he just... The last two games, he has just looked so much more assertive and so much more confident. And if MSU is getting that player, that's something to build on. Um, Real quickly, some other guys. I want to just say, can I just say something about that? I I, I totally agree with about Malik, and I feel like the end of the year before, uh, he was starting to look. He was more consistently being aggressive a little bit. I mean, not he was not quite the level what Joey was, of course. But uh, and then the way he started that season was so good. And and he was he yep. was good every game, and then he yep. got hurt, and then he just never was quite the same. And so, I get the whole thing about the consistency, but I don't really think that that's almost a fair a fair um, assessment because he was never able to get right uh, last year. I agree. And so I, and so I think what we're seeing now is kind of what we were seeing at the beginning of last year, but he just never had a chance to go more than a few games. So you could always say, well, it's just three games, which I totally get. But I think at this point. I've seen enough now to say that this is going to be—he's going to be a solid this year. I agree. I, I think it's unfair to to look at last season and and hold him fully accountable. You can hold him accountable to some degree, but I don't think you can hold him fully accountable because the injury—it showed up in his jump shooting, especially. But overall, it was a problem. You look at him, the way he was playing early last season, the way he played tonight, the way he played against Duke, the way he played against Tennessee. And, you know, I start thinking, well, why can't Malik have the kind of year that, say, Tyler Wall has had for Wisconsin recently, where he's not 6'11", but he's a legitimate post threat, a consistent rebounder, a consistent defender, does a lot of the, the, the little things that you need done to win games and then is doing some things that are a little flashier, like scoring points in the post. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm encouraged by that. Tyson Walker, I mean, (laughs) his 21 points on the night, did it ever feel to you like he was really looking to take over? Because it didn't to me. And yet you look up, there he is. Um, That's a sign of a guy who is dialed in. I, I've said it before here, and I'm getting more convinced of it by the game. I think we are seeing 
the kind of year that we've seen from a handful of other guys in the Izzo era. And he's doing it uniquely. It's not exactly the same kind of year as any of these guys had, but I, I think there's a chance that he could have the kind of senior year that we've seen from guys like Denzel, um, Draymond Green, uh, like Kalen Lucas had as a sophomore. There have been these handful of individual seasons where you just see a guy take another level. He was already a very good player but he takes another jump up and becomes a guy who can take over games. And and I will repeat something I said on the Spartan mag board tonight. Once Michigan state gets its collective together, because we're not there yet. We're seeing some positive signs, but there'll be bumps in the road still. But once that happens, when, when you can add to that, the fact that you have a guy who can individually take over a game and he happens to be a guard who's good with the ball in his hands. So it's not like a big man where you got to worry about feeding the post. You got to worry about teams doubling him down there. It's a guard. He get his, get his own anytime he needs to. That is a difference maker. That is a weapon. I will admit I did not quite see this coming. Obviously, He's gotten a lot of preseason um, uh, hype, and rightly so, and we expected him to come back and have an outstanding season. But I thought Michigan State would be a little more by committee in terms of the scoring, and instead, what we are seeing, at least to date, is that as some other guys have struggled a little bit, but that doesn't change what Tyson Walker has been. Tyson Walker looks like a guy who can just go out and deliver kill shots in a way that not many guys in any given season are capable of doing. And, and again, I listed three names, you know, there have been other great players at Michigan state, but I would say those three guys. um, And in addition, you know, Cleves and Peterson are in their own category in some ways, but Denzel senior year, Draymond senior year, Kalen Lucas's sophomore year, those three individual seasons stand out to me in the entire Izzo era because they were years where you just knew when push comes to shove, those guys can take over a game. They all did it their own way. It was all different. And somebody, uh, a great poster on the Spartan Magboard, Rook 44, made a comparison tonight that I hadn't thought about, but it's dead on. Tyson Walker right now is playing a version of, of the way Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas, the, the original, the real Isaiah Thomas played <laughs> at his peak. Yeah. I'm not saying Tyson Walker is Isaiah Thomas, but I mean, stylistically, you know, Kalen mm-hmm. Lucas was a guy who was great with the ball in his hands, but Kalen Lucas was never the jump shooter that Tyson is. So that right. he was more of a guy who got things done by consistently going to the rim and in the mid range. And Tyson mm-hmm. could do those things too, but Tyson, like Isaiah, is also capable of killing you with the jumper. And so it's a, it's a little bit unique what he's doing. MSU has not had a guy quite like this ever that I can think of. I mean, there's, there's nobody I can put quite in this category. Maybe, maybe the closest would be, I'm going way back. Maybe somebody like Sam Vincent who could shoot, 
could also made a made a living in the mid range and could do some things at the rim too. And was, it was good with the ball in his hands. That's probably about as close as I can come, but it was a different era. It was pre three point shot. You know, you can't even really compare it. So Tyson's that's a big edge for Michigan state. Potentially if they can get the other stuff collectively up to where it needs to be. Um, I guess talking about a handful of other guys, cause we've covered all the starters now, I believe. Yeah, I would just say about about Walker though, real quick. So you know, the Vincents were actually at the game. I don't know if they showed that on TV, but no, Sam and Jay Vincent were there. Okay, yeah, they were right. actually at the they put the camera on them. Um, but the the thing that makes Walker so tough right now is that even when you try and bring a double, even out high, you and just because right now you know the roll guy is not doing much, especially if it's Mahdi. Yep. Uh, it doesn't even matter. He can still get around, and and yep. then he punishes you because now you've got two people way out of position. And you've got someone open. You've got a shooter open because someone's going to have to collapse to cover, you know, the roll guy at some point. And so, uh, and now that they're making some threes, even if he doesn't beat you, he's going to beat you with his. And that's how he got his four assists in one turnover. I mean, that's yep. he. He is because he's so he's basically a point guard out there too, who's scoring, who can probably put forty on you if you let him. Uh, so I, you know, he's, yeah, it's he's it is it is something to see. Like I say, that was the easiest twenty-one points I think I've ever seen somebody score at Michigan State. It was, it just seemed effortless, you know, um, as opposed to like segments in the Duke game or the James Madison game where, you know, it was obvious. Okay. Tyson's just looking to take over because they need him. It wasn't like that tonight. And he still ends up with 21, um, pretty impressive stuff. You look at the bench, um, really good for confidence to see Jeremy fears, Trey Holloman and Xavier Booker mm-hmm. all go one for two from three. They all hit threes. Yep. And every mm-hmm. one of those guys, the second one they took was ill-advised. <laughs> Just note that <laughs> yes. for the record. Yeah. They all hit their first one, and then they all very soon after that jacked up a second one. Uh, but but seriously, good to see with all of them. Once again, you know, I'm so impressed with Jeremy Fears as a defender. The other thing that was really nice to see with him he was his most aggressive and most confident that we've seen yet getting to the basket. He got himself mm-hmm. to the line for four free throw attempts. Um, I just, I liked seeing that Trey really good, not just the three, but he had another mid range jumper that he nailed. Yeah. Nice to see him. Yeah, it was nice. Nice to see him get some shots to fall because I think, I think we've believed and Izzo has believed that he's much improved as a shooter but at some point, you got to see the shots drop for you to believe it yourself. And so with him getting some shots to drop, I think that's perhaps going to allow him to play a little more freely in a confident sense. And that, in turn, could be a big positive for Michigan State. Um, didn't get much done from Cohen Carr. Uh, he fouled. He was, <laughs> he was posterized by uh, Pierre Brooks. Pretty amazingly, because he went up, he went up with them. Uh, But, you know, look, it's, this is, this is going to be the case with, with these guys. I think fears has convinced me that we're pretty much know what we're going to get out of him. The other two guys, Booker and, and Carr, it's going to be like this where it's, you know, people saw that, that first game from Cohen and, you know, that's when you started to get the, well, he should be starting ahead of Malik Hall talk, which was always nonsense. Yeah. This is what I expected to see from him in the early going, that 
you know, his athleticism and his strength is going to allow him to make plays occasionally. And there will be games where he strings a lot of plays together, but he is not yet at a level of comfort and confidence and consistency where that's going to show up game in game out. The challenge for this team, in my view, one of the challenges they've got is by March to have both of those guys, both Carr and Booker at a point where all of a sudden you're looking at them and saying, yeah, we know what we're going to get out of those guys. And it doesn't have to be 10 points and eight boards, but we know we're kind of, and they're both, I think further ahead as prospects in a lot of ways than this guy was, but kind of the way Carson Cooper just kind of came along slowly. And then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. by late February, you could see it start to happen. And then, you know, lo and behold, he's ready to actually show up and contribute meaningfully in a tournament game. That's where MSU has got to get these guys to. And, and again, I think they're starting from a better place than Carson was for sure. They've just got to keep working and, and get them there. Um, one other thing, and then we can turn to the, um, to the keys. I think that, uh, the only thing that was hard to watch in this game was the lineup that was on the floor when it was 14, seven. Yes. And it then became 14, 14. Yes. Did Butler ever get, I don't think they ever got the lead. But they no, got it to 14 14. So. They got it they got it even. Uh yeah. and and that happened in part in large part in my view. MSU had a lineup on the floor really without a bona fide score that you could count on. It was it was um Fears, Holloman, Carr, Booker and I believe it was Mahdi. And that is not a lineup that is built for offensive success right now. And I, I yeah. think I look, my feeling is, and this is something Izzo always does at this time of the year. Uh, he is experimenting with playing groups and different combinate, different lineup combinations. And I think what this time of year is about in part, one of the things they're trying to accomplish is to figure out their rotations, who should be playing with whom at what times, how do we make this all work in a coherent way? And so I think the obvious conclusion you reach, not just from this game, but all the games thus far is that's probably not a lineup combination that should be on the floor very much because there's nobody you look at and say, well, that's a guy that should be able to go get you a basket. Right now, Michigan State's got four guys who I think they can feel comfortable with in that way. Um, Walker, Hogard, as he gets it going. Akins, as he gets it going. And then Malik Hall. Those are your four yeah. guys. I think minimum, you got you to gotta want at least two of those four on the floor pretty much always at an absolute yep. worst one of them. And you did see that in the second half. There were there was a period where it was a, a maybe the exact same lineup I just mentioned except instead of Trey Tyson Walker was out there with them. Yep. That's okay. You could survive that for 3 minutes if you need Especially to. Especially Tyson. Right. Because you've got, but and they might have done it with Jaden at one point too. At least if you've got a guy that you know in a in a situation where it just all breaks down 
you've got somebody who's capable of going and getting a bucket. Okay. You can ride it out, but I, I, they're still, they're still feeling their way through this. And that's not unusual. It's maddening to watch it. I sympathize with anyone who is yelling at Breslin or screaming at their TV. Cause I was right there with you. It seems obvious to us, but we're not seeing We're not seeing practice. So we're not seeing the potential that is OCs. He's also got a much broader view of where he wants this thing to go and what he feels he needs to do to get it there, which sometimes mean you have means you have to ride that out to give people a chance to improve. You know, people always claim that Izzo doesn't let guys play through mistakes. Well, I disagree. And I think that something like that segment tonight is an example of that. He didn't, if it was me, I would have gone to the hook a minute into that group. He didn't, (laughs) he let it play out and, you know, for better, for worse, there, there's a reason behind that of, of that. I'm certain. So, so anyway, what you're saying, what I'm hearing you say is that, Izzo's okay losing in November. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying he wants to lose in November. That's oh, right. what I'm that's saying. What you're saying. Yeah, right. I'm saying he wants to. It's by design. Yeah, it's all just to build character. Yeah. Uh, he was yeah, trying so. to lose the game, and damn it, they just frustrated him <laughs> by going out winning by 20. So let's uh, let's talk about the Brothers of Just Two Gutters as they are our sponsor for the player that Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter, which was Pasha Alexander tonight. Uh, the Brothers of Just Two Gutters are your number one source for getting repair, cleaning, replacement of your gutters at your commercial or residential property in Michigan. Uh, you can go to them uh, if you're in the greater Grand Rapids area or the Metro Detroit area, Kurt or Greg. Uh, you can find their contact information below uh, or at brothersgutters.com. 10% off your estimate if you mention their name, of, or, sorry, mention Final Four. Uh, I've used them. They are they do fantastic work. My wife's office had to use them. They came out right away and did a job that no one else was willing to do. Uh, they go out about any weather. Uh, you just can't beat their service. And it is boring. It is gutters. But they have a passion for something that we just take for granted. And that's important to have someone who actually cares that much about it. So you can't go wrong. And this is the time to think about it because you want to get this done before the snow and ice builds up and all kinds of other problems can happen with your gutter. So make sure you take care of that water because, you know, it's Michigan. We have a lot of water. Uh, So the player they had to keep in the gutter was Pasha Alexander. Uh, He played 31 minutes. He was 2 for 10 from the field, 0 for 3 from 3, 4 for 7 from the line, uh, 4 rebounds, uh, 3 assists, 2 turnovers. Or sorry, uh, 2 assists, 4 turnovers. Yeah, 2 assists, 2 assists, 4 turnovers. And uh, a couple steals. So he was definitely uh, shut down effectively. I mean, he was, I think, averaging a little over two to one uh, assist turnover ratio, shooting f- over 40% from three. Although we thought that was probably a little bit of fool's gold. Uh, and so, I mean, I think they did a great job on, on really neutralizing him for the most part this game. Uh, yeah, really, really good. And that's one of the reasons why I felt like this was. Um, a very solid defensive exhibition by Michigan state is that's a guy who's proven to be an effective high major guard as a scorer, as a floor leader, you know, as a defender, all those ways. And I thought Michigan state, it was a number of different guys because he played 31 minutes. It just, it wasn't just say Tyson locking him up. A lot yeah. of different people got their turns. I thought Jeremy Fears did a pretty good job. The only thing I was about, you know, early in that game is so say the 
definitely in the first half and maybe even the initial portion of the first half, it felt like he was getting himself. I mean, he did attempt seven free throws. So that's a little more than you'd like to give up. And it felt like he was, he was able to get himself into the lane and around the rim a little more easily than you'd like. But then that pretty much stopped dead at a certain stage. So, um, Hats off to the job Michigan State did with him. No question. We've got a pretty good, I will say, for a season that's felt kind of uneven thus far, got a pretty good track record of keeping the gutter guys in the gutter, it feels like. No, I think so. And I think, you know, I think, for one, I think it's credit to you for because we're identifying the player that has been sort of important. And then, and then that's the same player that Michigan State certainly seems to have a focus on preventing really getting going. Uh, contrary to what lots of Michigan State fans seem to think that, that those players always go for 40. Um, but maybe those are people who are just no. named I'm not sure. <laughs> it's a long, look, it's a long-standing track record. You don't win the number of games as O has without being able to do that. And and look, that's a natural thing that I think almost any coach is going to try to do. You identify the guy who you think can hurt you the most, and you say, all right, we're going to have to make, we're going to do everything we can to make sure other guys beat us. And so you look at what Michigan State's done. I can't remember off the top of my head who we identified um, for uh, for James Madison. Well, you know what? Now I do remember because it was it was okay. the kid. It was, he did okay. It but was even, Terrence, even, Terrence Phillips or you know, yeah, Williams. But even Williams there, here, yeah. even there, if I remember correctly, his shooting efficiency from the floor was not great. He scored right. a lot of point, a decent amount of points because he got he got himself to the line got a lot. Line, but yeah, yeah. it wasn't a terrible job. They they held Filipowski reasonably in check against Duke. Um, whoever we identified versus Southern Indiana obviously didn't do a lot of damage. Uh, so this is and then tonight it's an encouraging start in that regard. We haven't yeah we haven't seen you know the obvious alpha on an opponent really go off and just dominate a game. So that's encouraging. All right, so let's talk about the five keys to the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Nudge Printing should be your go-to stop for Spartan apparel or any sort of collegiate apparel. They have all, all the cottages in the state of Michigan that you can go check out. You can find all their great stuff at nudgeprinting.com. I have a bunch of stuff. In fact, I wore my, our logo sweatshirt to the game and uh, the college tour today, and it's, again, super comfortable. It's actually really nice weather for mid-November, so it was kind of nice before I think things are going to turn <laughs> well, yeah. next yep. couple of days i Looks think it's way. gonna start feeling start feeling like november <laughs> before you know it maybe a little snow at some point uh but uh you could you're not gonna regret going to nudge printing you get 20 percent off you mentioned final four on your coupon code at checkout i mean just great stuff screen printed we've we're doing a fundraiser through our school through nudge printing as well through the fabric fabricated customs at fabricatedcustoms.com where they did the, the logo they open the store they do all the work i mean it's just a great they're great people to work with. They're really easy, great prices, free shipping if on relatively small orders. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know more to say except that if if you're not going to nudge printing for your Christmas stuff or holiday shopping, I don't know what's wrong with you. So I'd go there. <laughs> I'd go get your stuff. Uh, you can't go wrong. And nudgeprinting.com, again, 20% off if you mention Final Four in the coupon code at checkout. All right. So five keys to the game. Number one, get the offense humming. 
I thought it was okay. Uh, certainly saw Michigan State 40 to had an advantage of 40 to 16 in the paint, which we sort of talked about with Malik yep. Hall, and then certainly Tyson doing you know Tyson stuff. Um, and fast break points, you know, seven to two. So, I, which I think is actually about right. I don't think Michigan State got a whole lot going no. um, from fast break, but hitting some threes that were open, missed some later. Uh, you know, they were definitely better in the first half than the second half. Uh, so, you know, overall. I thought I wouldn't say it was humming, but it, but it was you know moving. <laughs> well, let's remember. Really, the essence of that was get the offense going early. Right. Yeah. And they because we had the last couple games where you could say, well, the defensive start was good, but they were still really struggling. They did do that. The offense looked good in that first five minutes or so, and then as we talked about, it kind of bogged down for a while when they went to that lineup that really didn't have any proven individual scoring weapon out there. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I, I do think that was mission accomplished in the sense that I meant it. Um, I still think this was a pretty good game. It was a solid game offensively. Perfect. No, but yeah. I, and the biggest indicator to me, people are going to say, well, they finally got above 30% shooting the three. Yes, that's nice. <laughs> they need that. But it was the way they got into the paint against a high major opponent that, you know, you got a little bit of post scoring at a Malik call. But then in addition to that, the guards were really effective. I mean, this was AJ's best game getting into the lane. This was Jeremy Fear's best game getting into the lane. I thought Tyson Walker did what he's been doing, a lot of which has been in the lane. So that's MSU getting a lot of their guys who need to be touching the paint, touching the paint. Um, you know, the, the, the one other thing I would say is only 15 assists to 28 made field goals. So that ratio right. is still not quite where you want it for MSU, but it's, you know, it's progress. We talked about you want to, like the, the vernacular in recent years has become that you want to stack days, right? Well, I think they stacked a good day after a Duke game where I think we felt even with the loss, there were some legitimate positives coming out of that. And they built on a lot of those things today, in my view, both in terms of some individuals and collectively. Yeah, I, I will only add that I think, you know, when it comes to the assist rate, I think we're going to see a lower assist rate than usual. I think you're right. If, to, if, the, if the first games have any indication, because I think the team plays differently offensively. One, Tyson just does more individual stuff, and I don't think we've yeah. had that generally as much. You're right. You're right. And also, the same thing with Malik. I think, you know, Malik's going to be a guy who's going to sort of back people down and and a little bit more than we normally see. And so I think with those two together, I think the assist rate is going to be a little bit lower than usual, which doesn't mean that there's a problem. It just, it, it's just going to be just different. I think this season, I, I think you're, yeah, I think you're probably right about that. And we've talked about that before, you know, that's a stylistic thing. It doesn't mean that a team can't be good offensively if they don't have a high assist to made field goal ratio, because there are teams that play styles which are never going to produce that, you know, where they, they ask their players to do the things you were just describing. And I do agree that Michigan state this year, you look at the, the way Michigan state is using Tyson Walker and what he's clearly comfortable and doing and looking to do. And it probably is going to take the assist rate down a little bit. Yeah. And, and the other thing I'd say is that, you know, Butler, as you know, it is early in the season and of course they did not play tough competition, but 
by all accounts, and there's every reason to expect that they'd be a pretty decent defensive team. Uh, Butler, and Michigan State yeah. shot, yeah, and Michigan State shot 47.5%. Uh, they shot over 50% in the second half. So uh, they definitely did some really good things in offense. Yep. Despite playing a what's probably a decent defensive team. Again, we'll, we won't know until you know another probably another month what Butler really is, but uh, that's a good sign. Uh, so the second key to the game are the boards. So Butler had maybe showed some signs they might be a little susceptible on the boards. Michigan State uh, with a, a good thirty nine percent offensive rebound percentage yeah. rate. Uh, Butler with a twenty nine point seven, so a little higher than you probably want, but not terrible. No, they not, not terrible Butler, at all. Forty two thirty two. Uh, so, you know, uh, again, I think, you know, this is a good sign. And I think, you know, we definitely saw with with Carson and um, with with Malik that, that we saw some real, really impressive re- rebounding. The only disappointment you'd say here is probably that Jaden really didn't get much going. He only had two rebounds. Yeah, but gi- given was, given the way he started, I'm willing to give him a mulligan because this is a yeah. six, three guard, six, four guard that's been averaging almost nine boards a game. So, OK, <laughs> he had two tonight. All right get you next time um i want to emphasize this because this is something and i would like to think that most of our listeners are aware of it because we talk about it so much but this game offers you a really really good illustration of how you need to view rebounding because if you look at the raw numbers say well michigan state had 12 offensive rebounds and uh and butler had 11 so that's pretty close but it wasn't Mm -hmm. close because Michigan State's offensive rebounding rate was significantly better, almost, almost, not what was almost Michigan State's percentage? About ten percent better. It's thirty-nine oh, I was to twenty-nine point seven. Almost ten percent better. Yeah. Additionally, I think a good rule of thumb, if you're just looking for a very simple way to to conceptualize this as you're watching a game, thirty percent is kind of a threshold number. If you hold the opponent under 30% with their offensive rebounding rate, you've done at the very least a reasonable job in terms of your defensive rebounding. Now that could be offset a little bit more or less by, you know, how many points are they getting out of the ones that they do get? You know, they Butler in this game, 11 offensive rebounds, seven second chance points, Michigan Mm -hmm. state, not any better in terms of an efficiency, 12 offensive rebounds, 11 second chance points. But the point is if your defensive rebounding has been a little bit of a concern thus far, right? I think in this yeah. game and, and it should have been this kind of performance because Butler had not yet shown any indications that they're a, a good rebounding team at either end. So Michigan state's performance is what you would hope to see, but we did see it. So you should feel pretty good about that, that they did what they should have done, holding them a little bit up under 30%. That's a good number. Getting into the high thirties yourself. That's a very good number. And, um, you know, and also making sure that the ones that Butler did get didn't lead to very much damage. That also helps. And that sometimes that's easier said than done, but, um, it's good to see happen. Nevertheless. So I, I came out of this one, uh, feeling pretty good about rebounding. And again, stacking days, they did a nice job against Duke in this area. Mm-hmm. Yep. So now you do it again against another high major opponent. They're going to get tested very seriously. I suspect 
on Thanksgiving Day by Arizona because Arizona has shown to have they, they got a lot of big bodies and they've shown to have the potential to be a very good rebounding team. So that's going to be a true test. But I think Michigan State's making progress. And the fact that we're seeing so much more activity on the offensive end than we did at any point last year is really encouraging that, you know, in some important ways, they're getting back to the staples of what Michigan State's program is supposed to be about. Yeah, I think it's I think we're far enough to the season, not very far, but far enough, I think, at this point to say, without a doubt, they're a better rebounding team and they're definitely a better offensive rebounding team. And I don't think now, you know, they're not may not be the levels that we you know would hope for, like, you know, where they Back in Antonio Smith days. There's and no stuff, way but... Antonio Smith or Andre Hudson on this team. Okay. That no. that much is true. But there are guys who are doing a good job now. And again, I, I've said this before. Right now, we're not yet seeing Cohen Carr and Xavier Booker show exactly. up in a major exactly. way. That is lurking out there. And if and when that happens, then you could really start again. It's probably not going to be uh, reminiscent of 1998, 99, that era, <laughs> but it should be pretty good. Yeah. And the nice thing about this team is they don't shoot as badly as the team back in 98 night where they had to <laughs> offensive rebound because they couldn't hit anything. I feel like they, they weren't great shooters. Well, uh, and I think, you know, th- thus far, maybe the comparison is more apt than we'd like, but well, we, with we, threes, we think for sure. that will change. Yeah, right. Well, and I also feel like when Kohler comes back, you know, we don't know what he's going to be like when he comes back and how many minutes he's going to play. Yep. But I feel like he had a, per, a knack for offensive rebounding he does. as well. And so he absolutely he just does. has that instinctive sort of, you know, knows where to be kind of thing. And also converting them. He yeah. has he has a knack for getting himself in a good position to grab one and quickly get it up on the board and score. He he showed a uh, an ability to do that in in spurts and glimpses last year and so you're right that's another element we haven't even seen yet with this team that could show up but i think just the fact that you've got carson cooper and malik call and Jaden akins those three guys showing up the way they have is really encouraging and then if you can add to it boy so much the better yeah, for sure. Uh, third key to the game is AJ. And so the only thing I would, the only negative I felt like that second stint he had, that he got pulled for quite a while in the first half, came back and then closed the first half really well and then played decent the, the whole second half. So I, you know, I there's still plenty of times where I'm like, ah, oh, he just needs to drive a little bit more. He's got those, those lanes are there. I mean, Walker could yep. do them. I know AJ could get there too. He's just not quite doing it as much, but uh, he would definitely was showing some signs of doing that. So he definitely was, um, we had the good AJ. And so hopefully <laughs> Look, we see some we can see more of that. I'm going to, and I haven't gone through this in a systematic way, but let's just say I'm right. Um, <laughs> let's just assume that I'm right. I think he spent more time in the paint in this game than the three previous games combined. I really do. I think he... He did a better job of that against Duke, but this was another level where he just wasn't simply getting in there. He was getting in there and finishing plays. And that's that's a that's what they need. This AJ Hogard is something you can work with, the one we mm-hmm. saw tonight. Yep. Not at his absolute dead level best. Still missing a couple shots around the rim that I, I feel like he ought to hit, and I'm sure he feels like he ought to hit. But 
He got enough to go. He got to the line more than he has been. And I thought the defensive consistency was there. And he was still doing a decent job running the show. So you put all of those things together. And I was very happy with what I saw out of him. Again, not saying he's arrived yet. Because we know he's got another gear or two that he can go from here. But this is, we're starting to see some signs of real progress. Now it has to be about sustaining that and building on it, just like it is with the whole team. I do want to use this this discussion point, though, to bring something up that's been bothering me, and not with Michigan State per se, or not Michigan State's fault, but with the game as a whole. I am, because I, and it comes to mind because we're talking about A.J. getting into the lane. I have been frustrated in these first four games in a way that I honestly can't recall ever being to this level by the way that the game has been officiated for Michigan State at and around the rim when we're talking about yeah. guards getting there. I know where you're going with this, yeah, for sure. And it's got me, and I'm not I'm not about, just in case you think I'm going to go on a tirade about how the officials are screwing us, I'm not. <laughs> um, it is. It is making me wonder, though. Uh, everybody knows there's this change in points of emphasis in terms of how they're going to call the block charge, right? And mm-hmm. we're seeing that. Far fewer charges. You saw one in this game where even though he was still Yikes. moving, in years past, Pierre Brooks got called for a block. I can't remember who it was that was coming. It might have been AJ. Who's coming at him? Walker was Walker. Okay, yeah. Um, In years past, I wouldn't have been surprised at all if that had been called as a charge. So that change has definitely come. But I think what's going on is the as a as a counterweight to that, officials have been instructed to also pay attention, kind of in the other direction, to what's called principles of verticality and that if guys are perceived defenders are perceived to be moving vertically but staying straight up so they're not coming over the top they're not reaching and there's contact made that that is in fact legal defensive contact and that should not be called as a foul which i agree with but i think there's a lot of stuff that's being seen that way that's not that and is they're they're letting it go. I I honestly I cannot remember a four game segment where I've been as frustrated by the way that kind of action from Michigan State has been officiated. And I'm not sure what the problem is. I mean, I think I've just started to circle part of it, but I'm not sure why Michigan State isn't seeming to get a lot of those calls and other teams are. I'm not sure if it's something that Michigan State is doing or not doing defensively. So that's why they're getting whistled more. Or if it's just they've had a bad run of luck with officials inconsistently applying the rules and that it'll turn around and they'll get to the line more. But Michigan State, this team is making, particularly in the last two games, I think is making a more sustained attempt to drive the ball, get the ball to the rim, than we usually see from Tom Izzo teams. And they're not really getting rewarded for it yet. The first two games, they shot a boatload of free throws. 
Yeah. The last two, not the case. Even tonight, I mean, MSU attempted. Well, they attempted two in the 50, second half. Two the second half, 15 free throws, while yeah. Butler goes for, um, what was it, uh, 24. Butler gets nine more free throw attempts in this game. Did you feel they were the more aggressive team? I didn't. No. So, well, and the one that Cooper went straight up and he's got called. Yep. <laughs> he called for a yeah. foul on that. So something, yeah. something's up. Something's happening I don't here. Know. I haven't, I haven't zeroed in on exactly the totality of what's going on, but I'm starting to formulate some theories. So that's something let's keep our eye on. Um, and, and I know that Izzo was talking about it. I could see it that he was yeah. talking about inconsistent inconsistency in the way plays were being called at both ends. There was stuff yeah. that they just let go when Michigan state was on offense that should have been whistled as fouls. I mean, AJ takes a ton of contact under the rim when he's, I mean, almost every single yeah. time and he hardly ever gets the line for that, which is weird. Unless yeah, he misses. <laughs> and it's been more the case this year than in the past, in my view. Because in the past, yeah. a lot of those issues with free throw attempts, quite frankly, has been sort of by design. I'm not saying Michigan State doesn't want to draw fouls, but they typically do not play offense in such a way that tends to lead to a lot of contact. It's a lot of jump shots, right? Even like yeah. mid-range shots. They're not. There isn't that emphasis on looking to get the ball to the rim. This team, as you were pointing out, and I agree with you, is a little different in design. And so you'd like to see them. You'd expect to see them getting rewarded more for that. Again, we saw it in the first two games. We have not seen it in the high major opponent games. So is it a trend? You know, what what are we going to see as this unfolds or something to keep an eye on? Anyway, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. Nope, I think it's a good point. And then let's talk about the fourth key to the game, which was transition. Uh, you yeah, know, seventy-two uh, so. according to the fast break points. I I definitely thought that Butler did not play fast, and I think if anything, that Michigan State's defense forced them deeper into the shot clock a lot of times, and they had they really struggled to get good shots off sometimes. So, um, you know, in that sense, I guess Michigan State's well, it's not transition, but at least they slowed Butler down significantly. Then there's really no transition for Butler. Um, so I don't know. I I don't know what you think about that. Well, I you know I'd hoped that maybe MSU would would be able to push the pace a little more than they did. This was, this was not a game where they generated a lot of turnovers that lead to transition opportunities, which we've been seeing more of than we're used to this year. The turnovers mm -hmm. were um, 12 for uh, 12 for Butler and 10 for Michigan state. So not, not a lot of them anyway, in this game, um, and I thought Butler did a pretty good job in terms of floor balance. A couple times Michigan State got loose. Um, there was one, uh, was it Malik, I think, that yeah. got pass Ended up from, from AJ yeah. and yeah. finished. There was another one where they got a kind of a secondary break situation where Tra for Trey Holloman's three came out of that. So also his miss came in semi-transition so it got loose occasionally but it was yeah it just wasn't a game where transition was really a factor yeah uh so then the final key to the game is to attack pierre and i thought early in the game there was no question they attacked him relentlessly i mean malik yeah. was going at him every time and 
and was pretty relentless uh, attacking him. But then they, I don't know if they got away from it or they just were better hiding Pierre in different places, but it didn't seem to be as much of an issue for, well, for uh, Butler. That was my impression, but I don't know. Maybe you've, maybe you saw something different on TV. No, I do. Look, I think that Malik did some work against Pierre, so they did try. Um, but I, my, my question coming into this game, because I hadn't actually seen Butler play is, and we talked about this in the preview is how is Butler going to handle Pierre and, uh, and the, uh, Telford kid. And the, the way that played out is Telford very clearly was the guy who was playing on the perimeter. In fact, Telford was actually seeing a lot of Tyson Walker in this game. So they must've thought that his length maybe, and the fact that they were teammates for a year, maybe was part of it too. Right. That they thought that he could maybe hang in there a little better with Tyson. I think they might've also been doing that to avoid the impact of some foul trouble with their guards as well. But, um, regardless, uh, it was not Pierre. You didn't see Pierre trying to guard Jay Nakins very often, which is something I thought might happen as a result of Butler's lineups. I, I think perhaps though it had an impact in a different way. Uh, we talked a lot about how Butler has a lot of size and they do. Yeah. Well, then I look at the minutes. Okay. So Jalen Thomas plays 17 minutes. Capke plays 11. Andre screen plays 11. Connor Turnbull only played two. It mm-hmm. felt to me as if Mata went smaller for longer than we might have expected. He starts a smaller lineup generally anyway, but I think some of those big guys maybe didn't play quite as much as you might have expected them to. And I wonder if part of that was that they realized, well, if we do that, we need Pierre out there some for his scoring. But if we do that, we're going to be forced to play him, put him in situations where he's guarding Jade Nakins, let's say. Yeah. And right. that's that, that was where I really thought, boy, if we see that, if he's playing the wing, MSU's just got to go at him. I, we also talked about Malik Hall has a little bit of a size advantage against him. I think he can do some one-on-one work in the post. And that part did happen. I just don't think yeah. they ended up playing him against wings all that often. Yeah, he and you're right. When Carr was out there, he was was he was on him because it's much easier to cover. Uh, just basically, you're just preventing the the drive into the. That's it. So you can kind of play off of him, right? And so that they definitely did that. Yep. And Carr's, you know, those were the minutes. Those were the minutes where they could afford to play Pierre on a wing. When it's Colin yep. Carr out there as a wing, you're right. All right. Well, I guess that wraps up the uh, the announcement of the show. Do you have anything else to add? Otherwise, we can head on out. Or we got a uh, sorry, a quick turnaround as we got the Acrisure Classic starting up on Sunday in, in at the Breslin, the game one against Elkhorn right. State. Right. Uh, no, just a, I, I think uh, a little bit of a get right game. You know, you took some positives that were there in the loss against Duke and and you built on it. So that's yeah. the that's the about the max I can hope for right now is just slowly steadily show some improvement get better you got a game against Alcorn State which is another one where you should have some opportunities to experiment hopefully a little bit 
and and also do enough good things that you build confidence where that needs to happen and you get ready for you know in a little less than a week a really difficult challenge it always looked like a real challenge but then you look at what Arizona has has done to start the season and you know you start to feel like yeah this is this team might be they were viewed <laughs> as kind of a maybe between 10 and 15 team nationally coming in and i think the early going in November always fools us about some teams. But right now you would have to say they probably looked as good as anybody because they went into Cameron and beat Duke at home. Yeah, not many people so do that. Not in November. I, yeah, I don't right. I don't think anybody's got a better win than that right now. You know? Maybe James Madison. We'll see. I was gonna say maybe James <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> maybe James. Yeah, right. All right. Well, uh let's get out of here then. We got like I said, we got a quick turnaround. We'll be back to you. Very soon with the preview for the Elkhorn State game. Again, check out the Brothers Just Your Gutters at brothersgutters.com. Head out to Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com. Reminder, too, that there's still time to enter the Beat Rod Contest. If you want to win uh, Spartan Apparel at Nudge Printing, you can uh, make a prediction for the final standings of the Big Ten. It has to be for the first Big Ten game in just a couple weeks now. Uh, So 1-14, to tiebreakers, how many points Michigan State scores against the University of Michigan. Uh, you don't have to steal any signs to figure out how to do this. Um, and let's see. So then send that email that to me at eric at tffinots.com. And until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green.